Why, hello. It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Maya over Zoom video. Maya was born and raised in Sydney in Australia and talks about how she got into music. She comes from a musical family. Her dad used to do some open mic nights. He'd hop up there with the guitar and do some Bob Dylan covers. So we hear about that. One of Maya's first instruments was the saxophone. And uh, Maya played that all the way through high school. She actually started busking with the saxophone around eight years old. Started to play the guitar around 12 years old and was busking at 12 with the guitar. She had a friend of hers that would play keyboard. Maya would play guitar and... Uh, They'd busk. Maya talked about entering some songwriting competitions, getting a publishing deal at 16 years old. We hear about how she released her first EP during COVID, the major success of the song Apricots, and we hear all about her brand new EP, which is called Analysis Paralysis, and the big tour she has coming up this fall as well. You can watch the interview with Maya on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be amazing if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. If you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, please rate and review the podcast. And it would be amazing if you share it as well. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Maya. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm Adam, and this is about you and your journey in music. And we'll talk about uh, the new EP you just released. Awesome. Sweet. Uh, so I'll start off with uh, Born and Raised. I, I did see you born in Sydney. Is that what I read? Yeah. Yeah. Born so, and Raised. Yeah. Born. <laughs> well, well, what's it like there? What was it like growing up in Sydney? Um, it's pretty chill. Yeah, it was, it was nice. It was nice being in, in like the city. I moved around a lot though. Like I moved to all like different places in, um, in New South Wales and I lived in, in Byron for a while and that was really fun growing up around the beach and like farm life. Yeah. Okay. Did you move around uh, parents job moved or what, what kind of took you around to different places? Yeah, my parents just got kind of bored and they would do a lot of like house renovations, house flipping and like oh, cool. stuff then move somewhere else. That's awesome. Very, very cool. Do you come from a, I mean, that's a pretty creative endeavor. I right? think like being able to take out, a, you know, revamp a home and sell it. Like, uh, do you come from a creative or musical household at all? Yeah. My mom's a, my mom's a hair and makeup artist. Um, and my dad used to be in advertising, but he always grew up. I always grew up with him like playing music around the house. Okay. What about an instrument? Just, he was just a music fan. Yeah, he was a music fan. I think uh, he would play his fair share of like uh, open mic nights if he was a little drunk, but no. Oh, really? Does he play what? Does he play guitar? Yeah, exclusively Bob Dylan songs. That's probably all you'll get from him. (laughs) That's amazing. Did you learn? Was that your first instrument, guitar? My first instrument was um, it probably, it could have been piano, like when you put your kids in like those. Oh, really early lessons classes but um it was like sax was the first instrument oh. I did you do like uh the school orchestra or band or yeah, something I like did that and for a while and then i kept doing it when i went to high school because i liked it but i didn't love the band thing um 
And then I just did drums for a while. And then, yeah, I picked up the guitar when I was like 12, though. Okay. Wow. I mean, to start off on this, do you still play sax at all or no? Or is that just something you did I up until high school? I into it again, like in the beginning of the year. Really? Um, yeah, just for fun. I think there's so much pressure when music starts becoming like your income. Um, and it felt hard to like have a connection with instruments that didn't feel like I had to like come up with something. Mm. Um, and sax definitely doesn't feel like that. So it's nice. <laughs> it's not something yeah you have to write something to uh, to make it onto your your record or anything like yeah. that it's just like a, a fun thing to screw around with <laughs> yeah, yeah i heard the ep and i'm like eh, it doesn't i don't i don't hear any sax on the, on the EP. <laughs> no absolutely not <laughs> maybe i should pull it out <laughs> that'd be rad I, like distorted or something i have no idea oh, um, yeah yeah the did you like what drew you to the saxophone did you just thought it was a cool instrument yeah I was really into it I didn't I didn't really want to do like flute clarinet kind of thing it was it was pretty much my first choice though they, they did try to put me on the tuba and I was like I'm a small person that's a big instrument I don't think that's gonna <laughs> work with me I, I did school band in like grade five for one thing and i did clarinet because i'm like this is small enough to carry and i thought the reed was cool and if you stuck your mouth over the whole mouthpiece and blew really hard it made this like really obnoxious sound yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah the, and i thought the reed was cool and the sax has a reed yeah the sax has a reed as well yeah that's that's fun i don't know the like impulsive urge to like bite into it is a bit much though but <laughs> Or like lick it. <laughs> I remember that. It's like you see kids sucking on the reed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so you said you started playing guitar and songwriting at 11. Is that what you said? Yeah, I started playing guitar when I was 12. I pretty much started oh, 12, sorry. As soon as I, um, yeah, as soon as I started playing. But yeah, I'd always written like poems and stuff since I was a kid. I just like will still find like random journals from when I was like six or something with just like just random shit in it. But um yeah, I've always I've always loved to write. That's been my thing. Okay. And then I did read uh that you were like busking at a very early age as well. You did some songwriting competitions. Yeah, yeah, I did that. Um I actually was busking with the sax before I was busking with No the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, my mom was like, do it while you're cute. No one will care when you're older. So I was like, she's like, put me on the side of the beach. I was like, you'll make more money now. <laughs> That's cool that they uh, supported that, right? They're like, oh, yeah, here's you go out there, open up the case and make a few bucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was like seven or eight. And my mom was just like, you want your own income? You work for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, would you do it often or was it just kind of something you do at random? definitely definitely random but i remember the first time i did it i made like 50 bucks and i was like holy shit i am rolling yeah would you buy i don't know i think i just had like a i had like a fucking snap lock bag with just like a, a whole bunch of coins in it that i was just like <laughs> slowly withering away buying like lollies before school or something sure wow um and then did you start busking with guitar and like playing your own songs as well yeah, I started doing that probably when I was in like the sixth grade um, with one of my friends. 
and she would like bring her little keyboard out <laughs> of the guitar and it probably sounded horrible like it probably sounded horrendous um yeah and we would play songs that we wrote together which were just also probably horrible but probably a little bit endearing um yeah we did um like our local town street we used to play there and plenty of times the like real estate agent local real estate agent would come out and be like you need to move like you <laughs> <laughs> you like 11 year olds are getting in the way of our business <laughs> like, yeah how are we supposed to sell houses with these 11 year olds playing music out in front of you yeah literally oh that's funny um but you did some songwriting competitions as well as were you young when you went and entered that yeah I would have been like 13 or something when I started doing that um yeah those were just at like the local high schools in like that area um I only did that once or twice just just kind of for fun I think my I don't even know how I ended up there I don't know if my dad was just like there's a songwriting competition or something yeah I don't I don't really know how that happened but um yeah, I definitely didn't win. That wasn't. Oh, you didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and from there, were you aside from playing with you know your friend on the keyboard? But were you in? Did you start bands and stuff when you were in high school? I really wanted to, but I think I was really daunted by like I went to a performing arts high school, um, but I was a local kid because I moved back to Sydney. And we moved like right near the school. So I got in like as as somebody that just like lived around the area. And there was only like a few streets really where you could get in as a local kid. Um, but everyone else that went to the school like had to audition and like got in for like different talents. Um, and I think I was just a bit like, oh, I'm not actually a music student. So like the music kids probably don't want to make a band with me. So Oh, you felt like just because you were there without auditioning because you lived close by, maybe yeah. kind of got... I mean, they were really divided. Like, if you were a local kid, it was, like, known that you were a local kid. Really? But look at yeah. you now. I mean, you, that's funny that they would not even give you the time of day. Yeah, I actually met a girl um, at one of the shows recently who came up to me and she was just like, fuck Newtown, like the school that I went to. And I was like, oh, what? And she was like, I was also a local kid. And like seeing you do this shit is really cool. Cause like, I, they just like, didn't give me the time of day. And I was like, sick. Cool. That's <laughs> You're like, thanks. <laughs> um, wow. So when do you start like kind of pursuing your own thing? Was it like, when you're in high school, you're obviously doing the busking thing and you kind of had, you had songs and everything. You just know, you just felt like nobody would want to play with you or that you got that vibe. But like, were you doing your own thing? Like, did you have your own project at that point? Yeah. At that point I did. I, when I moved to Sydney, I like randomly walked into this like studio thing that was like across from my house. Um, and I, it like had a music note on the front. So I just like walked in and I was like, what do you guys do here? Like, <laughs> <laughs> You know, what is this place? I want to do music. <laughs> and I was like, again, like a 13 year old just walking into a business being like, can I be here? Um, and I, yeah, the guy that I met, um, he had like big songwriting credits on some songs and he just started this business and he was trying to like develop young artists. Um, and he was like, hell yeah, I'll sort of develop you. And then we did like 
singing lessons and songwriting sessions and he kind of like put me in with like producers and stuff when I was like a kid um and that's kind of how I learned to like record music um super early and then I had like a big catalog by the time I was 16 because I just like was writing like multiple times a week um and then I got um signed to a publishing company when I was like 16. Wow that's a huge yeah, it like looking back at it now, it felt so like normal at the time. I think because I just didn't really know what was going on. I was just like, I want to do music. I don't yeah. really care about yeah, it. Like, there's a music else. note on this door. I'm going to kick the door in. This person wants to work with me. And now I'm, I have a publishing deal. I guess this is just how this Literally. works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I was definitely, I was never like, I don't know. You hear the classic story of like somebody signs a deal and they're like, I fucking made it. Like, I think I signed that deal. And then I probably just like went home and cried for the whole day being like, what did I just do? Like, <laughs> Would they put you in like at that point, were you writing songs that were being pitched to other artists? Like as uh, you know, with this publishing company or like, what was the role that you played within that? Um, they would just kind of set up like sessions outside of just like the one or two people that I'd just been working with for like the years before. Um, and then they started putting in with me in with like pitch sessions. And I just didn't really like that because I was like, uh, you know, maybe if the music thing doesn't really like work out for me, then I'll do the pitch session stuff because it's still fun. But I was like, I would rather be making something that I feel is really reflective of me. But I do really like writing for or with other artists. I think that that's awesome because I just want to like protect those people as much as I can. And I know how hard those sessions can be. So mm -hmm. it's pretty you cool. You still will do that. Yeah. Go in and write with people. But when it comes to like a pitch or pitching a song, they're like, oh, we need a song for whatever artist it may be. So you have to sit there with other people and just kind of try to write something that they might want to. Exactly. Take. Yeah. Really weird to be like, what can I write that this person might like? But other pitch songs are so funny. If it's like, we need an anthemic song for the end of this like football movie. And then they'll give you like all of these words that you have to use. And it will be like champion, goal, victory, love, like, <laughs> like, you know, win. Like it's, it's hilarious. Greatness. <laughs> yeah. So then you're sitting there trying to come up with something that might fit and then use all of their words. It's like, oh, yeah. man. Yeah, it's like a total project, right? It's not it probably yeah. even create. I mean, there's obviously creativity there, but it's nothing authentic to you, I would imagine. No, but it, it is kind of fun. I feel like I need to step out of like my life for a minute and do that. And then whenever I come back to like making the music that I like, I'm always like, yeah, I'm glad I did that because I'm reminded about how much I like doing this. Sure. <laughs> Today, hip hop dominates pop culture, but it wasn't always like that. And to tell the story of how that changed, I want to take you back to a very special year in rap. 88, it was too much good music. The world was on fire. fire yeah. I'm Will Smith. This is Class of 88, my new podcast about the moments, albums, and artists that inspired a sonic revolution and secured 1988 as one of hip-hop's most important years. We'll talk to the people who were there. 
And most of all, we'll bring you some amazing stories. You know what my biggest memory from that tour is? It was your birthday. Yes, and you brought me to Sade. Life-size cardboard cutout. <laughs> this is Class of 88, the story of a year that changed hip-hop. Listen to Class of 88 wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge the entire series right now on the Amazon Music app or Audible. From that publishing company, were you uh, were you able to write and release your own music at that time, or did that company kind of want everything you're doing to be um, stuff that you would pitch to other people or try to throw into a sink or something like that? I was doing a lot more of just like writing myself. I didn't really take a whole bunch of sessions from them. Um, I kind of just stayed working with the people that I was working with. And then I didn't release anything until I was 18. I don't know whose who's call that was. I don't know if it was my mom. I don't know if it was the team. But um, probably the best call that they could have made because, like, I don't think that kids should be putting out music personally. <laughs> you don't have enough life experience. You don't have enough life experience at 18. But I think that it probably really messes with somebody if you start putting out music when you're, like, 16. Because whose choice really is that at that point? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like be- because of that, maybe uh, the song... I've talked to a lot of artists that did, you know, put out songs when they were really young. And then it, those ended up just getting pulled. Up. They'll always be like, yeah, and I scrubbed those from the Internet. I hope nobody could find that. It, yeah. Like, I feel like that's a lot of the the tale when it comes to those yeah. early, early songs. Even my first few songs, I'm like, ah, can, what can I do to get rid of those? <laughs> like, like it was Fool's Paradise, the first one you put out. Yeah, I don't I don't like hate that song, but I'll never play it and I'll never listen to it. <laughs> really? I mean, as over, I mean, it's got millions of plays. Is that something that when you put it out where people, they must have been, you know, drawn into it at some capacity? I think it was also just like a little bit of that, like endearing young singer songwriter kind of thing. Um, But that's all I had really had experience with. And, you know, I feel like if, if I, I don't know. I've learned so much through being in the industry and so much through like writing and then like <clears throat> meeting different people and then like meeting different bands. And then the second that I started playing in bands, like for my project, I was like, Oh damn, this is where it's at. I should have been in a band. Like that's kind of the reaction. And majority of people like you wouldn't want to be in a band. Like you have to split all the funds and like share the creative decisions. And I'm sort of like, that would be nice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Even now, though, it, it, you, it's just your project and you have a band around you? Or, like, how does that work? Like, were you in a band? Like, okay, this is a separate band from, from what you're doing as Maya um, or no? The band that I have, it's, it's almost like we are, like, two separate entities. It's like, as a, as a live act, we are a band. And if you're coming to see us, like, you're coming to see a band and like we change a lot of those songs to like fit that kind of narrative um or we'll add like a ridiculously long interlude after one song so we can just like play a long instrumental um and they're like my favorite people in the world um but yeah when it comes to comes to the songwriting and like the creation of the music it still is just me but I definitely want to experiment with like working with them and seeing what that looks like mm-hmm. um, 
but yeah, it is a bit scary because I've never written music outside of like just like myself and like a producer and maybe like one other person. It would be hard to like write while everyone's playing and try to kind of like direct everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right now you just work with one or two people and it's you have an idea and you can bring it in and build off of that idea instead of, all right, yeah. let's come up with a song, everybody. Yeah, yeah. It usually would just start like kind of piano or like somebody making a beat or like bringing in like something on a guitar. But yeah, I'm still trying to figure out which process I like the most. I think because I've been doing it since I was 13, it got a little bit monotonous of just like, okay, this is this thing that I do now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm trying to get back to being like, what do I need from this rather than kind of like getting through it in a way? Mm -hmm. um, I think that majority of artists like get to this point where they're sort of like, why am I doing this again? Yeah, because um, it's been such a long time doing this, like kind of at the same approach. Uh, you feel like you might have to, I don't know, try something else to see if that is something you dig or. Mm, definitely. Or even like working with people that like, I've been working with this guy who just has like absolutely no pressure on like getting a song every day because that just becomes exhausting after like seven years of doing that. And um, he's really cool. He'll just be like, okay, we can spend the day just like working out these pedals or like you can bring in like a synth thing and we can figure that out. Like that's cool. That's the stuff yeah. that I like, like taking your time to find the pieces before you try to like shove them all in place. Right, right, right. You can spend some more time trying to figure out what where you want to go with it. Um, with your like you said you had a you got a band. At what point did that happen? Like, had you already put out um the like some of the other songs that you've released? Like, I mean, with Green or All the Girls Aren't the Same. Like, when you're releasing those songs, was it still just you? Yeah, um, yeah. I I kind of was releasing during COVID or like just before, I think the first song came out like just before COVID. And then um, it like hit full throttle in Australia, at least like absolutely no going out, completely confined to like your room. Like you couldn't be more than like five kilometers from your house. You couldn't be in a car with anyone that you didn't live with. Like police would stop you on the street and be like, let me see your ID and see how really? far away you are from your house. And if you are outside of the zone, you'll get five five thousand dollars. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was it was hectic. And then like absolutely no gigs, no like eating out, like none of that. Um so well, at least that was like in Sydney. Um so yeah, I was just like putting I put the EP out like mid lockdown. Um and I think that was the point where we, like, everybody was just losing it. I think we were just, like, playing, like, poker with my housemates every night or something. <laughs> like, um, yeah, so it kind of it just existed virtually for a really long time. Um, the, the the Don't Kiss Your Friends EP? Yeah. That one? Oh, wow. Okay. It was kind of online. And then we played we played a gig the first the first night that the lockdown lifted and for, or it wasn't when the lockdown lifted cause we, the lockdown had lifted and then you could still like go out to clubs or you could go out to like bars or like you could see a live show, but you had to be seated. Like you couldn't get up. 
you could like get up to go to the bathroom but like were you in like a pod or whatever they had like the like roped off boxes they had that here in the states i remember you had roped off boxes yeah it was like you can you can only fit like ten five like people that you came with like in these little like sections like they had like these areas that they created well first it started with like these car drive-in shows which were like a total nightmare some Um, of them kind of cool at least out here because they would happen like kind of in the bush oh <laughs> really that's awesome. the ones i saw or the one i went to one and it was like in a stadium baseball stadium parking lot i'm like this really isn't the vibe um, <laughs> but uh yeah but so you guys played the first like you actually had a chance to play a show when everyone was standing up you're like okay this is it we played the first night that the dancing rule was lifted. This is like some <laughs> shit. This is so stupid. But the gigs were open. And then at, at first it was like you had to be seated like at a table and you couldn't move. No and dancing. After a while, it was like you could stand, but you can't dance or sing, which was so weird. Because what is the point of that? You can um, stand, but you can't move or talk. You just have to stand there in silence. Yeah, because they were they were trying to argue because you still had to wear masks, and they were trying to argue like if you were singing, you could be like spitting. <laughs> but um, yeah, we we played that night that the dancing rule was lifted, and it was like. I think it was like 6 p.m. that night you could dance. And I think it was like right before we were going on. And it was really funny because I just remember everyone. It wasn't like you would expect everyone to just immediately be like, yeah, we can dance. Like that's it. it was more like just that classic thing of like when one person stands up in a standing ovation and then no one knows if they should stand up to or they should just like <laughs> let that one person keep standing. It was very much that sort of like you had to like really work for people to start moving. And it was just like, come on, we haven't been able to do this. And then gigs were weird for a while. People just like didn't know how to act or like right. what to do. Yeah. It, it would, it, I'm just thinking of like maybe like a middle school dance or something. Like everyone's just kind of separated and mm-hmm. one person goes in the middle and they're just doing something. And it's like, oh. Okay, okay, let's all let's try. And then it just slowly kind of builds this yeah. little thing. That's so funny. I didn't know if you were going to say, oh, yeah, like we started and it was like, all right, the dance ban is lifted and everyone went nuts. But it doesn't sound like that was the case at all. It was like a really slow incline to get people back to just like moving because people were just like so used to almost like getting yelled at by security being like, you have to <laughs> yeah, just like. PTSD, like, okay, I don't want to get yelled at now. (laughs) Is this okay? During that period of time, and it was so funny because I hadn't really been out because I was like, I wasn't, I was like 18 and then lockdown happened. So it was like, I hadn't really. Didn't even go in legally and go into the clubs at that point. Yeah. But like went into a club and it was all seated in a club and I was like this is probably the weirdest experience <laughs> like people just like on drugs but like having to sit down being like <laughs> <laughs> oh wow yeah that's that's pretty funny um but you put that out like putting that out during the pandemic I mean putting out your uh your EP during the pandemic you you had a I mean the songs were hitting really well right I mean people Doug, what you were doing was that just all ba- must have just all been based off of stuff online 
yeah, it was all kind of streaming and like doing DIY music videos with my, with my friend Merle, who we like constantly work together. Um, we did like a bunch in my apartment. They don't really look DIY. They kind of look like they were done in a studio, but um, yeah, just, I don't know, really being online and, and I feel like it was also a period of time where a lot of musicians weren't releasing music that were like actually established because they couldn't tour it. And like, that's a massive part of the income. Sure. Um, so I think there was like a weird moment where like there wasn't a whole lot of music coming out and like the stuff that was coming out was kind of more DIY and it was kind of more like emerging artists being like, or oh, people finding music during lockdown. That was more of the music that was kind of, yeah, happening, right? I mean, yeah, because if you a lot of big bands had records about to come out or albums about to come out, and it was like, oh, well, let's just hold this for the next six months to see what happens. Definitely, yeah, there was a lot of that, um, which you kind see. of worked well for me in a way, in a very selfish way. Not that COVID worked well for my brain, but for the for the music, it did. But yeah, it was definitely very like crazy coming out of COVID and like, you know, like I signed, I signed a deal, a record deal internationally in COVID over zoom. And wow. like, well, that's when, bizarre. Yeah. When I talk to people now, they're like, Oh yeah. You know, when you sign and like the label flies you out and they whine and dine you. I was like, no, I signed in my living room. In my pajamas. Like, <laughs> I know nothing about that at all. <laughs> oh my gosh. But was that based off of, I mean, how did the labels find you? Was it based off of like, did you have a viral moment or was it just because you were getting streams on a lot of your stuff that was happening? Um, They signed me after I released Apricots and I actually, to be completely honest, do not know really. I, I think it was just like probably my managers emailing people or whatever. It was like a classic thing where, I actually a large part of COVID was like taking zooms with different record labels and like meeting different teams and and being like trying to gauge a person over a screen that you've met and you're talking to for like 40 minutes to be like, Hey, I'm about to give you probably a large part of my life uh, and all of my catalogs and the rights to my songs. And I have to try and gauge if you might be a good or a bad person over a zoom conversation right they're just in a suit with just no pants below just like hanging out in like sweats <laughs> like, yeah oh uh, man wow i can't have yeah that's uh you can't get it really a vibe i would imagine or you can no, kind of I, get a vibe but not yeah at the same time i also am like i feel like i've thrown you off your rhythm like if you you kind of you know can't do the thing that you've been doing for years and you kind of have to be a little bit more real um, sure but yeah i ended up in a great place and my team is amazing and you know so many amazing women that i work with on my label and they're just awesome so i definitely definitely pick the right one for sure if you're an independent artist you may know the struggle of you got these great songs how do I get them in front of record labels, radio DJs, get them on Spotify playlists? How does this happen? Well, friends, this is Adam from Bringing It Backwards, and I'm going to tell you about this amazing website called DropTrack. DropTrack will get you a free press release for your music with the new AI-powered PR agent from DropTrack. 
DropTrack has helped thousands of independent musicians actually get their music heard by connecting them with record labels, radio DJs, Spotify playlist curators. And now DropTrack is leveraging the power of AI to help you promote your music. It's super simple. All you have to do is upload your song and then DropTrack will write a professional, personalized press release that describes your music all in just seconds. Then DropTrack helps you share it with the world. You might ask yourself, Adam, why do I need a press release for my music? Well, you need a press release because you need to be able to describe your music in words. You can send the press release to record labels or radio programmers, media outlets, and these industry folk and your fans will actually be able to read about your music before they even press play on the song. This will also get them interested in your music so they want to listen to it. A really good friend of mine has been an independent musician for a number of years, written so many great songs, but he's like, why do I need a press release? So I explained to him the importance of the press release, being able to describe the music. People know what they're getting into before they even press play. He drops his song into drop track. It writes this beautiful press release. Then all he has to do is just send it out. Super simple. What are you waiting for? Get a press release for your own song. Try it now for free at www.droptrack.com. That's droptrack.com. That's D-R-O-P-T-R-A-C-K, droptrack, droptrack.com. Check it out today. I know you just did a big headlining tour, but when do you start working on this this EP that you just I just put out? Um, this EP was like a long time coming, just okay. in the way of like doing heaps more of those sessions, heaps of one-off sessions, heaps of just like meeting a hundred LA producers and then being like, oh my God, this is just so insanely overwhelming. And um just like writing all the time. And I think Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm just curious. Did you go, then did you leave Australia to go to LA when you started working on this? Yeah, I left oh, okay. Australia. I came out here on like two separate occasions, like a few months at a time, and then like went back home. And so like half of the EP is like written in LA and the other half is written um, at home. And I think, um, I mean, I think it was a really valuable experience. I think working with so many different people actually just like taught me what I didn't want to make which kind of makes it easier to figure out where you are going because you're just like well I know that I don't like that and I know that I don't like that rather than being given like all of this blank space to be like what do you like <laughs> you're like I don't know <laughs> <laughs> so we're yeah working with do you feel like you can uh hear I mean in you as you being able to hear like okay like I know this was done in LA versus Australia like is there of the, was there a totally different vibe in, in both countries when it came to writing? And maybe not. I'm just curious. Yeah, a little, a little bit. Um, and then we got a lot of the people that I met on that trip to like add different things. It was a really collaborative EP in a way that like I would sort of come in with an idea or like I ver like occasionally we would like write from scratch. Um, and then I feel like there was so many people involved actually in the creation process and behind the scenes and in the videos and in all the conversations. So I think that's kind of where like the analysis paralysis title comes from. Cause it was just like, you have so many people and so many opinions and so many things involved. 
and so many like decisions to make that it's like I don't know they're paralyzed with the amount of options um but yeah I think I think that there is like a little bit more of a distinct style when I write in Australia because I write alone so it is a bit it is a bit different but yeah we got some other people from out here to like play play on the records as well um which was really cool it was cool to like send different songs around that I made with like one of my close friends and to like see how other people added or changed or like heard different things in it um so many different shapes of those songs but yeah I don't think I'll make an EP like that again (laughs) it was a long process oh is that right I mean I I, I would imagine that'd be exciting though to have something that you and someone else created and have it more like I'm, I would imagine it's more like bare bones and then you send it out and you re- get this thing back and you're like, Oh, let's hear what, what let's hear what, it, what came out of this. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the song Lola was definitely the one that changed the most. Um, Cause I send it to Andrew Wells out here. Who's like a crazy, incredible producer. And um, he just like really amped up the track to make it like feel really live and really like roomy with the drums. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. This is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's an amazing EP. I really, I I like all the songs a lot. I really love the last one. Just like, it's got this like slow kind of cool vibe to it. Thanks. I always trust people that like the last one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, no, I really like that one because I, I had a chance to hear the whole EP, and I and I think you added those are that was one of I think two that weren't released as singles. Mm, yeah, yeah. Damn, like this is such a really cool song because I had heard the other ones quite a bit, and I listened to the album or the EP all the way through, and it's the last one. And I was like, this is a, like that was the one that really I was like, damn, like this. Not that, the, like I said, not that the rest of it is awesome. But I was really that's definitely that's definitely the direction that I want to want to step into and sort of challenge, um, because it is kind of more of that like band influence and listening to like heaps of soundtracks randomly and heaps of like Radiohead, especially their early stuff, because their early stuff was just like them figuring out like music. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, I, it's controversial. A lot of people do not like that first album, but I really like it in the way that, like, uh, it just proves that, like, you can go anywhere from that first point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think I think that's kind of going to be the same with me, where I don't see myself, like, consistently making any kind of music. Like, I don't know, I wrote, like, a fucking Rage Against the Machine song yesterday, and I was like, I have no idea how this fits in. <laughs> really (laughs) but you know i just you gotta you can't you can't like walk in and like decide the kind of artist that you are going to be you kind of just have to follow it and then you end up wherever you end up yeah wow that's cool i I was looking at your instagram and i think there's a photo of you with a rage against the machine shirt not very far down on the yeah yeah i've been i was like that's badass i love rage against the machine yeah i've been re-listening to that a lot recently i feel like i watched that woodstock documentary and i was like damn rage against the machine so good yeah there's this really i had this i'm much older than you i had this vhs tape uh that they released when evil empire came out and it was them a bunch of different shows like kind of clipped together into one thing and i think they're playing like south america somewhere and there's the the 
the amount of people is so ins- there had to be a couple hundred thousand people it's just like a wave it looks like just a wave of people it's right. insane that's yeah. so cool. yeah I, I, oh. yeah i don't know you i'm sure it's like on youtube at this point but it was like i remember just watching that as a kid like damn this is this is wild that's insane even like that corn set from woodstock like that crowd is crazy mm-hmm crazy and this there's even like stuff like pulling influences from like certain corn songs where it not necessarily in the sonics but just like in the way that it was written and recorded like there's some songs where they just they just keep they keep it the like recording rolling while you know he's like screaming on the floor and just like you can hear the band members like hesitation to be like do we keep Go. <laughs> do we keep playing right but you just don't music is so overproduced in these days that you don't get those moments where it's it's like the hesitation of like oh i don't know really what's going on but i'm going to keep playing like it's it's very rare that things are like one take or like a lot mm-hmm. i don't know i really want to get back into that because it's just like keep the mistakes in like that's what makes it real and yeah, I feel like yeah, I like definitely just that rawness of it all. I, I love like there's a, adds like such a cool like grit, I feel like, to the song. Definitely, definitely. And like it's just humanizing it. Um and I feel like music is definitely going in that direction. I think I'm definitely going in that direction. I'm just learning so much more from like getting to this point. I feel like my like my like career up to this point has just been like figure also like figuring music out. Like I feel like that first EP was just like me learning out learning like how to songwrite and record and then the second ep you felt like me being like oh, okay you know i can use my voice as an instrument and like i can use all these references that i really like um you know and i can like get out all these emotions and i feel like the next project that i work on is going to be more like oh, i want to talk about things outside of myself and i want to talk about the environment that i'm in rather than just like all the internal things mm-hmm. um you know, and I want to get way more into like tones and sounds and and not using references because as good as references can be, it can also like confine you to like specific things that you like want to be. That's what I'm trying to unlearn, I think. Mm-hmm. Being like picturing yourself as a certain artist or like looking a certain way and like being like, I am going to be like that or like I am going to market myself like that. I think it's a, uh, it's, it's a kind of a bit backwards. And I think a lot of artists are starting to be like, I'm just writing music and then, you know, yeah. Seeing where it, where it goes. Where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, It's just, it's interesting that you, yeah. You know, you brought up being like some overproduced and just like the grit and stuff. It, I remember still like looking at the back of going just real quick back to Rage Against the Machine. You you go back to the back of it and it says like every instrument or every sound you hear on this, this recording is made by, vocals drums bass and guitar like it 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 says it on the back i know at least the first record the self-titled and the on evil empire it might on all of them but like it just the, because of the sounds that tom Morello was getting out of the guitar it sounded like other things but it was like he had to <laughs> spell out that nothing is not a guitar or a bass or anyway but it, it's just That's interesting cool. yeah to, really cool. to look at those little little things um uh, I uh, you obviously have a, a huge song with with Flume and, and and say nothing and that being the number one song on Triple J Radio is that some 
that's got to be a massive accomplishment. Was that something that you I heard just from what I know about it and in the country of Australia, that's something everyone sits down and listens to, like what's going to be the number one song and yeah. to be the number one song that what was that moment like? It's definitely weird. I don't think it's really I don't know when it will click. I don't know if we'll click in like 10 years or something. But yeah, I grew up always listening. It's like that 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 day, that like countdown day in Australia on that radio station is like an actual like holiday like in Australia. Like every single year from like the beginning of high school, it was always the day that you would go out with all your friends and you'd start the day with the radio playing and then you'd figure out like they would go backwards from like 199 from the day before. Um, and then they would get all the way up to one and one would always be around like 9 PM or something. Um, and by that point you, everybody was probably super drunk and like, it's in the middle of summer and it's nighttime, but it's still really hot. And everybody is at the park, like listening to the same thing or everyone at the beach is like listening to the same thing. Like it's, it's a really special day. And I, I can remember every single one really fondly. Um, and I remember them listening to it when I was like 16 and I was like, damn, it would be really cool to get in this someday, like with a song, but I doubt it would ever happen. Um, so yeah, it's, it is really surreal, especially cause I, I wasn't in Australia when the countdown happened. Like I was on oh. tour in Germany and it was snowing and I was like, this is so weird. <laughs> Yeah, you didn't have that experience. Like it's summer, we're partying, and the song is yeah. gonna hit number one. Cause no, you don't know, right? If it's even gonna make the countdown or where it's gonna land. No. So like we I woke up in the morning and started listening to it and I caught like the last 12 or something. Um, and then when it got to like Steve Lacey, I was a bit like, Oh, I'm fucked. Okay. <laughs> right. Like, didn't even, I was like, it didn't even make it. Like <laughs> Yeah, but, yeah, I know. The, the, and the, you look at the ones that came, you know, Steve Lace, Lizzo is like on the top. It's like crazy. And then you number one. I mean, wow. Yeah, it really is kind of a testament to Australia in the way that like they that country will back Australian music so hard to the point where I'm sure there's people in that top 10 or like bands in that top 10 that people from other countries would be like, I've never heard of this band in my life, but it's because they, you know, they really champion um, those artists. And it's just so funny. Like I got, I, I've been in the hot 100 for like the last three years, but it was like the the first year it was like 199. I'm pretty sure I came in. You're in. You're in though. <laughs> the year later, I got um, I think it was 101. So I just didn't make it into the top 100. Oh. A few a few bands messaged me and they were like, dude, we got 101 a few years ago. And then like, you know, we came like 30 a year later. Like it's it's the sweet spot. Like I guarantee something good will happen to you next year. And but multiple people messaged me that that also were in that place. Um, and then, you know, a few of them messaged me the next year being like, I fucking told you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look where you're at now. Number one. That's incredible. That's so cool. Um, well, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for doing this, man. You've been awesome. I know you're coming here to the States uh, in October, I believe. Yeah, I'm actually here now. I'm in L.A. right now. Oh, yeah. 
you're here now, but you're touring here. Have you done a lot of touring here in the States or not yet? Uh, no, I was on, I was on the flume tour, but I haven't done anything for my stuff yet. So it's kind of scary being like square one out here, but it's also really fun. Cause it's like, I can kind of do whatever I want. No one really has anything to like go off of, um, <laughs> sure. but yeah, I'm touring with Nessa Barrett in, in October. That's exciting. I know I'm in Nashville now. I'm originally from San Diego, but I'm in Nashville now and you're playing here at Marathon Music Works. So I'm going to have to make it out. Yeah. Check out your set. Can chuck you on the guest list. You should definitely come. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah. I definitely want to see you. So I, I, I did see you're coming here. So I'm stoked on that. But um, I, again, I appreciate you doing this. Thank you so much. I know it's early in, in LA. Um, I have one more question for you before I let you go. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Advice for inspiring artists. Um, I guess, I guess, yeah, like a, a reference point is always really good for the music that you want to make, but like think about why you're doing it and why you want to do it. And, you know, it does take like really hard work to get somewhere, but like if you enjoy the process, it won't feel so hard. So that's kind of the main thing that you need to evaluate is like if you actually enjoy making the music outside of like everything that comes with it, because that can be the most rewarding part is just like, don't focus on numbers. Don't focus on who's paying attention to you or if anybody, you know, if you're building a team, like focus on making the art and then everything else will come with it. And if you are at a point where you're, you know, people are interested and they want to sign you really fucking read that contract. Like, holy shit. 